This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening. I want to start by saying I'm thankful for the opportunity to be up here and speak before you all. And I want to say that it is my prayer that something we have to talk about tonight will be beneficial for you. I've titled my lesson tonight, Forgiveness, the Very Essence of Our Faith. And I want to start by going back to perhaps one of the most famous stories of forgiveness in the Bible, the story of Joseph. Now, we all know who Joseph is. Joseph was the pride and joy of his father. Though Jacob had ten other sons, he favored Joseph, and he didn't try to hide it either. He expressed his favoritism blatantly and visibly when he bought Joseph an expensive coat. And this did not go unnoticed by Joseph's older brothers. And they began to resent their spoiled young siblings. Joseph, who was either oblivious to the fact, or just didn't care, made it worse by telling his brothers of these visions that he had that he would rule them. In one such vision, his brother's sheaves of grain bowed down to his, and another, the sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed down to him. Eventually, Joseph's vivid dreams and their father's favoritism, excuse me, so infuriated the older brothers that they plotted to kill their own brother. While trying to decide the best way to accomplish it, there happened to be a caravan traveling by on the way to Egypt. So instead of killing him, they decided they were going to sell him into slavery. They said good riddance to their dreaming brother and made up a story to tell their father of his favorite son's tragic fate. So much for dreams of greatness. At age 17, Joseph became a slave in Egypt, then a prisoner in a dungeon for a crime he didn't even commit. The situation provided Joseph with plenty of time to think about what he had done in his life, and he made a choice. He decided to forgive his brothers, and eventually God fulfilled the promises that he was told through his visions, but not before refining Joseph's character through forgiveness. So why is forgiveness so important to us? Forgiveness is something we all want, but we all struggle to give. Jesus makes it clear, however, that we cannot have it without giving it. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These words allow no room for doubt or discussion. Forgiveness flows two ways. We cannot separate receiving forgiveness from giving it. Forgiveness is at the core of emotional well-being. It is fair to say that someone who is unforgiving is emotionally sick. Their bitterness is a disease of the spirit. Bitterness causes unresolved anger. Anger, excuse me. And unresolved anger keeps us frozen in a time machine. It locks us on the exact moment when a particular offense occurred. Fear of further injury or pain stops us from moving forward in relationships and forgiving others. It causes us to distance ourselves from those who have hurt us in the past and those who we think could hurt us in the future. But the Bible tells us we should not be bitter, that we should be kind to another, loving to another, forgiving to one another. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 says, 
Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Yet more important than any of these concerns with one another is the most serious consideration of all. The spiritual consequence of being unforgiving. And that is becoming further from God. And nobody wants that. Forgiveness cannot come until we admit our own failures. If we can't do that much, we can either give or receive forgiveness. We cannot receive forgiveness unless we understand or acknowledge our need for it. And we can't extend forgiveness without admitting that because of our own imperfect condition, because we are all sinners, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from another human. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For Christians, forgiveness is non-negotiable. It is the very essence of our faith. So if it's so important, why do we not do it? Why do we fail to forgive others so much? It's fear. Fear stops us. The reason many of us refuse to forgive is our fear of loss. And there's no denying that forgives us requires to, forgiving requires us to give up attitudes and actions that are important to us. Fear of losing the energy that anger produces. This is not an obvious one for a lot of people. But some people are reluct, reluctant to let go of that burning energy that comes when you know someone has done something wrong against you. And it drives you. Fear of losing leverage in a relationship. Those who are still hurting for pain usually aren't too eager to go and get hurt in the same way again. They assume that if they forgive the guilty party, then they're just going to hurt them again in the same way because they know that they'll be forgiven. This brings up an important point. Forgiveness does not guarantee change in another person. Just like how we sin against God, and He forgives us every time, but He knows that we're going to sin again, and we do sin again. Forgiveness is an act of obedience, not a tool of manipulation. It is a way of cleaning up the grudges and resentment that damage us spiritually. Fear of losing hope for a better relationship. Some people have expectations for friends and family that are just too high. As years go by, repeated foolish choices devastate those who expect too much. Fear of losing power and control. Refusing to forgive keeps others in our debt, from our point of view. And although forgiving feels like an act of surrender, something that we're doing, it, and it's, excuse me, it's an act requiring tremendous strength. It's not easy. And finally, fear of losing the image of superiority. Holding, holding an offense or a grudge against someone places us in this good guy against a bad guy picture, with us having the white hat being the hero of the story. Imagining that we are better than others, it makes us feel good. But such a prideful attitude is unacceptable to God. Whenever we judge other people, we try and play God in their life. And this places us in an unwinnable wrestling match with our Creator, who, as the Apostle James reminded us, sets himself against those who are prideful. James 4, 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what are some ways that we can look past these fears and learn to forgive? Number one, 
step into other people's shoes. We don't always know the other side of the story. And sometimes that other person may not even realize they've wronged you. They may not, may not even be aware that they offended you. Number two, we have to remember that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are not the judge. Judgment belongs to God. So instead of judging others when they've wronged us, let's look at ourselves first. Yes, that person may have done something wrong to you, and they may have done the most terrible thing imaginable to you, but realize that you yourself have wronged many others too. And at the end of the line, we have all wronged God. Matthew 7, 5 says, Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And number three, last but certainly not least, we've been commanded by God to forgive. If we want to be forgiven, we have to forgive. It's as simple as that. And it's not easy, but it's a truth. It is God's will for us to be forgiven, so it's our job as his servants and followers to do so. Luke 6, 37 says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Some of the greatest obstacles to forgiveness are the misconceptions about what it is. Realizing what forgiveness is not can make it easier to do. Forgiveness is not condoning the behavior. Once we understand that the act of forgiving is not saying what you did is okay, it's saying the consequences of your behavior belong to God and are in his hands, not mine, will allow us to forgive so much easier. When we forgive, we transfer the person from our flawed system of justice to God's perfect system of justice, the only true system of justice. To forgive is to recognize that wrong done against us is a debt of sin, and all sin is against God. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. It would be foolish to erase all these things that have happened to us. If we were to do so, we would never learn from our experiences. We would go into those same situations again, only to be disappointed. What can eventually be forgotten, though, are those raw emotions that come when you're first offended or hurt. When we forgive, the terrible memories and feelings can slowly diminish. Forgiveness is not doing the person a favor. In Judaism, forgiveness is not required unless repentance is demonstrated and pardon is sought. But Jesus raised the standard of forgiveness to a higher level. According to him, we are to forgive even those who remain unrepentant. Forgiveness benefits the giver at least as much as the receiver. Forgiveness is not some grand act that we should be proud of. We've been commanded to do so. And last, but certainly not least, forgiveness is not easy. Forgiving is difficult enough when it involves a one-time offense. It verges on the impossible when the offense is repeated. Such circumstances don't just require an act of forgiveness of that person, they require an attitude of forgiveness. When Peter asked Jesus how often he should forgive, Jesus gave him perhaps an unsettling answer. Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied. Seventy times seven. Think about the mathematics of that statement. Can you imagine forgiving anyone, even for the smallest of things, 
490 times? Imagine you have this perfect garden in your front yard, and every single day this neighborhood kid comes and rides his bike through it, ripping your flowers up every single day for 490 days. That's a year, four months, and two weeks of Timmy riding through your front yard and destroying your flowers. And you might say, well, Jesus is asking us to do something that is humanly impossible. And you're right, it is. By ourselves, it is not possible. In and of ourselves, we don't have enough forgiveness to go around. But God does. So when our limited resources run out and we are unable to forgive, we can ask him to forgive others through us. In so doing, we take one more step of obedience and allow ourselves to become a conduit of God's never-ending grace. I want to close by rereading Ephesians 4.32 because I think it perfectly sums up what we've talked about. It says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So as we leave tonight, let's remember that in the day we're all sinners and we've been commanded to love each other and forgive each other. That's what I've prepared tonight. If there's someone in the audience who wishes to be baptized, or if you have another care that you want to present to the church, we ask that you come forward and have a seat in the front pew while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.